It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, today at about 10 o'clock, uh, we understand the uh, president and vice president will get their briefing. And then, of course, they're going to speak to the press. Wrong. They will not. They will not speak to the press. Yesterday, they talked about booster shots, and the president stormed away afterwards. But I sat down with George Stephanopoulos. We have more of that interview. Uh, I have not heard a lot of it. I've been on Fox and Friends. We rolled in about two clips. I want to hear more. It is infuriating from what I heard. Uh, chaos was inevitable. Uh, that was so four days ago about people falling off planes. Uh, you can't uh, you can't give women rights by military force. Really? I don't know what happened over the last 20 years. They seem to have gotten some rights. Um, and now they think things are going to be OK. And we might stay after ever August 30th if we can get all the Amer- if we don't get all the Americans out. Lara Logan at the bottom of the hour. Dave Ignatius next. First big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. Plan. It's for every, every adult to get a booster shot eight months after you got your second shot. It will Bo- make you safer and for longer. Booster shot, desperate for a distraction, the president pushes booster shots for the vaccinated. Meanwhile, mandate mania rages as business, schools, and sports are all affected, and the fighting is heating up. Number two. So Americans should understand that troops might have to be there beyond August 31st. No, Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't, the troops will if stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. If there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. Ensuring loss. Biden is having U.S. troops who will stay in Afghanistan until all the Americans want to leave are out. Why didn't we make sure Americans were out before we moved the military? And now it's being revealed that the Biden State Department moved to dismantle protections for citizens trapped overseas months before that Trump put in place. He got rid of it in June. We'll bring you the details. Number one. The intelligence clearly indicated multiple scenarios were possible. There was nothing that I or anyone else saw that indicated a collapse of this army and this government in 11 days. Really? Not all that I've been reading has been true. The New York Times had a totally different story with documents they said they read that forecasted this virtually. Letting down our nation. Days after the collapse of Afghanistan, the Biden brass speak. The president, Mark Milley, uh, Secretary Austin, all show why we don't deserve, they don't deserve to lead our nation. Embarrassment and incompetence are beyond anything I have witnessed or heard in my life. Joining me right now, a man who knows more about uh, the war-torn regions of that region than anybody else, Dave Ignatius of the Washington Post, uh, NBC uh, contributor, of course, best-selling author. Uh, his article, Good Intentions and Seductive Illusions, Scenes from Afghanistan's Long Descent. Before we look at the big picture, can we see the current picture, David? It is grim right now. The arteries leading to Kabul are virtually shut off. The Taliban have shut it down. And Secretary Austin made it clear Americans and our allies are on their own. Yeah, it's, it's just a dreadful situation. Uh, it's uh, heartbreaking for the uh, commanders who've seen so many of the soldiers lost over the last 20 years to see an endgame like this. 
I think we're seeing the problem with using military force. The military, since Monday, has been able to secure the military side of the airfield in Kabul, but uh, to secure Kabul itself, to go outside the perimeter and get clear passageways into the airport would require, in effect, reinvading uh, the capital of Afghanistan. That would take a lot of troops. I don't think, given the situation we're in, that's a, a wise idea, but uh, it, it's just a nightmare. You can see it on the face of General Milley. You can see it on the face of the SECDEF, uh, Lloyd Austin. Um, that, you know, these people have fought and uh, lost so many comrades over 20 years. Uh, it just uh, must be an awful situation to be in for them. Right. But I mean, how much is self-inflicted? If you're General Milley and you have the president of the United States saying what he said, I got to get out and get down this day. And he says, listen, uh, I can't do that and give up Kabul airport. I'm a military man. I do this for a living. You can't have it both ways. What, what are, how are we going to get our people? How are we going to get out the Washington Post reporters, the New York Times reporters, the CNN, the Fox News? I can't I can't get out reporters. I can't get out our people. That's where the military man has to step up. I, I agree. I think that uh, our military should have said, Mr. President, uh, if it's your intention to protect the remaining Americans, those Afghans who have depended on us, our interpreters, to, uh, people who have been part of our of our orbit, uh, we needed to plan more carefully. I think one reason we didn't is the Afghan government said, oh, no, if you get people out early, that will be a sign of panic. They, they argued that would produce the same outcome we saw when they ended up running away. So I'm not sure what we gained by that. But, but I basically agree. You, 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 you can't, uh, if you're a proper military planner, end up in the situation they were in over the weekend on Monday, complete chaos. Um, they were trying to soft pedal this evacuation. John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesman last Friday, didn't even want to call it an evacuation. No, 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 it's not, it's not an evacuation order. Um, so I think um, they deserve blame for the, for the inadequate planning and not thinking through the consequences of withdrawal. Personally, Brian, I think withdrawing the 2,500 that were remaining was a mistake to begin with. I think you know a small force in Afghanistan was a, a good, uh, I like to call it a term insurance policy against uh, the return of Al Qaeda and, and terrorism it didn't didn't cost us much money. Didn't cost us much in terms of loss of life. We haven't lost lost a life there in more than a year. So I thought it was a mistake that Biden did in the first place. But if he did it, he needed to do it in a way that was more prudent, better planned. No question about that. And the blame game is everywhere, and you know it because they'll call you up, and because your source is so great and you're so trusted, uh, Dave Ignatius, they will say, "Listen, uh, we gave him the intel." You know, the New York Times had a story. We gave them the intel. We told them how dire it was, and and basically it was ignored. And then they come out and say, it wasn't that dire. No one ever told us. It took us all by surprise. So the intel agencies are going to have another word on this. They're not going to call a press conference, but but facts and paperwork are going to come out. I want, I want you to hear what uh, President Biden said yesterday. Cut one. So you don't think this could have been handled? This actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happened. So for you, that was always priced into the decision? Yes. Your response, David? My, my response is that uh, the President of the United States 
simply can't say that the chaos is a condition of his policy making. Good policy making is supposed to reduce chaos. And it's clear, in retrospect, there are steps that could have been taken that would have made us less chaotic. I mean, Biden's right. There's always going to be some chaos in a retreat. A retreat is a very disorderly, difficult movement. But uh, there's a difference between more and less. And uh, I just think he was too dismissive of, of the criticism. He, they need to own what what this is. And, you know, he needs to be honest say, I this is a hard decision. I made it. Here's why I made it. Here are the consequences. We're trying to remediate it. They are, in fact, working as hard as they can to, to, to remediate it, get people out. But they need to be honest about what they didn't do. Uh, and I, I think uh, they're just going to dig themselves a deeper hole if they keep saying that's not so. So here's uh, another qu- quick one that we saw this yesterday. It aired it fully today. Cut three. We've all seen the pictures. We've seen those hundreds of people packed into a C-17. We've seen... Afghans falling. That was four days ago, five days ago. What did you think when you first saw those pictures? What I thought was we're, we have to gain control of this. We have to move this more quickly. We have to move in a way in which we can take control of that airport. And we did. David, have you ever heard of an answer like that? That was four days ago? Is that an answer? I mean, by the way, it was two. Was that an answer? So, Brian, on that one, I disagree with it. I think that is an answer. The, the situation on Monday was a complete uh, mess. The airport was out of control. People hanging on to C-17s. It's just a nightmare. Uh, today, the situation within the airport, within that perimeter, is, is different. It's secure. Planes are t- taking off and landing. People are getting evacuated. So it is different. It's different because the U.S. military, General McKenzie, has gone in and done what the military can and should do. So I don't think it's wrong to say it's different. Uh, but, but, I mean, to just say four people, people falling out of landing gear thousands of feet to their death, well, that was four days ago. I mean, the dismissive tone in which he said it is is bizarre. Yeah, I just I understand. But there's a, the point is, if you're saying this is this is chaotic, it isn't as chaotic as it was four days ago because of specific steps that our military has taken to make it more secure. And, I, you know, I think it's appropriate to say that. Wow. I can't believe you just said that. Uh, the other thing is it is not secure. We talked to two people, uh, Afghans, who are Americans, Afghan descent, who every time they show up by the airport, the crowds are so overwhelming. There's no lines. There's this huge cloud after waiting a crowd, waiting hours. They turned back for the second straight day and walked away. So I don't really think things are getting better. I don't think we have enough people here. So asked what the military said to him prior. Listen to what he said. Cut eight. I had a simple choice. If I had said we're going to stay, then we better be prepared to put a whole hell of a lot more troops but in. But your top military advisors warned against withdrawing on this timeline. They wanted you to keep about 2,500 troops. No, they didn't. It was split. That, that, that wasn't true. That wasn't true. They didn't tell you that they wanted troops to stay? No, not, at, not in terms of whether we were going to get out in a time frame all troops. They didn't argue against that. So no one, no one told your military advisors did not tell you, no, we should just keep 2,500 troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that. We can continue to do that. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. Look, George, the reason why it's been stable for a year is because the last president said, we're leaving. And here's the deal I want to make with you, Taliban. We're agreeing to leave if you agree not to attack us between now and the time we leave on May the 1st. Less than two months after I was elected to office, I was sworn in, all of a sudden, I have a May 1 deadline. I have a May 1 deadline. I got one of two choices. 
Do I say we're staying? And do you think we would not have to put a hell of a lot more troops? We had, a, we had hundreds, we had tens of thousands of troops there before, tens of thousands. Do you think we would have, would have just said no problem? Don't worry about it. We're not going to attack anybody. We're okay. In the meantime, the Taliban was taking territory all throughout the country in the north and down in the south in the Pashtun area. What's your reaction to his explanation? So my reaction to that is I, I know from what I've heard from my best sources, the president was advised by his military uh, advisors, the top military officials, that it was not wise to pull the plug, get the small number of troops we had out quickly, that they favored uh, keeping them in a while longer and what I could call earlier term insurance policy. Uh, and I, I think he decided that he wanted to get them out. Uh, they said, yes, sir. They did it quicker than he, than he had asked for. He said September, they, they got them out by July 1. But I believe the president is misstating that when he says that the senior military advisors did not tell him that they, they, they thought it was wise to keep troops longer. I think they did. Misstating, misunderstanding, or just flat out being dishonest? Don't know. That's the first I heard the clip, but I just am telling you, it does, the clip doesn't match up with what I, with what I know. Uh, David, what are you hearing overall? Uh, I know you, I have, you, you have a good perspective. I re, your last column gave a perspective on why we're at where we're at today. But as of today, what are you hearing about how this is playing out? And do you have people you know who are eligible to get out who can't? So people are struggling to get to the perimeter. Again, there's definitely what the military can do in a situation. They can control inside the wire, but it's terrible getting from parts of Kabul to the, to the airport. And the one thing I'd say, Brian, is you know, this really is its a tragedy. It will live with us as the evacuation of Saigon did. It's, it's such a deep national tragedy. I think, you know, the blame game is, is really kind of misses the seriousness of this. There's a generation of military officers who were involved in decisions that didn't work out. Um, President Biden was an advocate, an eager, uh, quick uh, withdrawal, made a deal with the Taliban. Biden came in, uh, followed that deal, uh, made his own set of mistakes that you and I have been talking about. But I, I really do think as a country, we have to we have to reckon with what happened uh, you know, in, the, in the most fundamental way. And make some and make some changes. Make sure we don't do this again. We're, you know, we're, we are the love them and leave them country. We do it over and over again. We go into a place. We don't have the patience. We don't stay. Uh, and the people who are left behind, look at them in Kabul. Look, look at these desperate people who, who are just don't want to get to America because they believed our promises. We got to stop doing that as a country. I agree. And there's got to be more hell to pay for military operations. And whether I know we have to have civilian control, but if they know how to get uh, to leave a country responsibly, I mean, then we have to make sure politicians understand that you just can't do things. Why the military wouldn't say if you get out nine to 15,000 Americans will be stuck when when the Taliban take control. Now, the other thing is fundamentally the war on terror. Don't tell me we're as safe today as we were even three weeks ago and how that won't be Terror University now. That's, that's what I worry about the most is that this, uh, this catastrophic end of the war in Afghanistan is a sort of 
object lesson for jihadists around the world who are going to take heart and say, see, the, the Taliban won, they stayed the course, they stuck it out, and the Americans cut tail and run, ran. And I, I, I just don't want us to go back into that sense of the homeland being vulnerable. Uh, we had developed a counterterrorism policy that was working, uh, took down ISIS, uh, the organization threatened people all over the, all over the world, really. Uh, so, you know, we, we just have to we have to think carefully now about how we protect the country, how we protect our friends and allies, and get serious. That's one reason I think the blame game, we've got to be careful about not overdoing that because we've got big, big things to think about. We need to be... Yeah, we do have to find out if, if these guys are capable of leading us. Dave Ignatius, Washington Post. Ignatius Post is to follow him on Twitter. Thanks so much. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort peace and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Earlier on in the the Biden presidency, I was surprised to hear a couple of European ambassadors here in Washington say to me, you know, it's interesting, they all sound really smart and they've all got the right grades, but they don't listen to their allies. On an issue like Iran, for example, where one ambassador I spoke to has an awful lot of background on this, he says, I can't get them to engage at all. They're not interested at all. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share tall in what allies have to say. And I kind of thought, well, that doesn't really jive with the competence we're seeing in the vaccine rollout. But I'm, I'm listening again to those conversations now and thinking, well, maybe there was already something there. But I think it's the lack of competence uh, in the national security operation and how it was handled, the, the whole withdrawal from, from Kabul that has really shaken America's allies at the moment. Absolutely, because they told us that they had all the experience and they had the resumes. But guess what? They can't even pick, they can't even commemorate D-Day. One, after, one time after another, they find themselves playing 
uh, fix it all, whether it's a, a Cuban policy or coming out of an economic plan. And now that they came out with this terrible dismount from Afghanistan after 20 years, if they're not blaming Trump, they give one speech. He goes back to Camp David. He comes back. It took four days for his secretary of defense to speak, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to speak. The president of the United States took three days to contact any world leaders about the catastrophe playing out on the world stage. And now today, no press conference. And yesterday, he wants to talk about booster shots. Don't tell me that's competence and experience. The adults are not there, and we're screwed. Laura Logan next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Most intelligence analysis has predicted that Al-Qaeda would come back 18 to 24 months after a withdrawal of American troops. Is that analysis now being revised? Could it be sooner? It could be, but George, look, here's the deal. Al-Qaeda, ISIS, they metastasize. There's a significantly greater threat to the United States from Syria. There's a significantly greater threat from East Africa. There's a significant greater threat to other places in the world than it is from the mountains of Afghanistan. And we have maintained the ability to have an over-the-horizon capability to take them out. We don't have a military in Syria to make sure that we're going to be protected. And you're confident we're going to have that in Afghanistan? Yeah, I'm confident we're going to have the over-horizon capability, yes. The deal is the threat from al-Qaeda and their associate organizations is greater in other parts of the world to the United States than it is from Afghanistan. And that tells you that you're, it's safe to leave? No, that tells me that we should be focusing on where the threat is the greatest. And the idea we can continue to spend a trillion dollars and have tens of thousands of American forces in Afghanistan when we have North Africa and Western Africa the idea we can do that and ignore those looming problems, growing problems, is not not rational. The only reason why al-Qaeda has diminished is because we were there and we were able to unwind all the intelligence that helped us in other parts of the world. Uh, I, I cannot believe George Stephanopoulos doesn't know that. And now I keep in mind, too, he did pull some of our assets out of uh, Yemen. And he also pulled back Saudi Arabia, who were bombing some of the same people we, we didn't like, like the Houthi rebels who were affiliated with Iran. Laura Logan, host of Laura Logan Has No Agenda. She's got a special on 10 o'clock on Sunday, extended version of which is going to be on Fox Nation Sunday. Laura, welcome back. What do you think about what the president said about al-Qaeda and the Taliban and leaving Afghanistan? Well, two stunning things about that, Brian. First of all, um, this administration is admitting what previous administrations have denied, that al-Qaeda has metastasized and presents a threat all over the world. If you recall, what what we get told all the time, and for years now, has been, oh, you don't have to worry about these uh, these guys in Timbuktu and Mali. They're not a threat to the United States. Well, what you're admitting, finally, and I, I tell you, it's so frustrating for me because I've been attacked and savaged by other members of the press and uh, political leaders in this country for reporting this over the years, and which is that the ideology of al-Qaeda and ISIS is identical. It's the same ideology of the Taliban, and it is being exported. So it's proliferating and expanding across the world. 
which represents um, a far greater threat. And that doesn't mean that it's moved. It doesn't mean that you no longer have the threat in Afghanistan. What it means is that it's escalating everywhere. And the threat that was literally born in Afghanistan, that was this is where Osama bin Laden, when he was in uh, the tribal areas of Pakistan during the war with the Soviets, this is where he created and wrote the ideology of al-Qaeda. And 9-11 was the moment that he cemented that ideology as the ideological base for the global jihad for the entire world, which is something the Obama administration has denied. I mean, they denied it more times than Imelda Marcus bought shoes, okay? The former ruler of Philippines who's famous for having a gazillion pairs of shoes. And they're still denying it to this day in many circles. The other part of this is, are you kidding me? If you're talking about a terrorist threat, the Afghan al-Qaeda is the Haqqani network in Afghanistan. They are the very people that the Taliban has freed from prison. They are the people that the uh, United States forced the Afghan government to release from prison. Uh, Nas Haqqani, Siraj Haqqani's brother, was one of the people that we insisted was released in the negotiations under the Trump administration with uh, the Taliban and their Haqqani network allies. The Haqqani network is a foreign terrorist organization. It is designated as such by the United States government. It has been on that list since 2012. Who do you think was in Kabul yesterday, shaking hands with Hamid Karzai, the former president, and Dr. Abdullah, about forming a government in Afghanistan. This is what is coming. This is what Zomal Khalazad, the U.S. presidential envoy, Trump's envoy, and Biden's envoy. A disaster. This is what he has been negotiating. He is negotiating to put al-Qaeda, the people responsible for 9-11. just want you to know this. On the 20th anniversary of 9-11, the United States is engineering and orchestrating and manipulating and pressuring and putting in place al-Qaeda as the government of Afghanistan and preparing to recognize al-Qaeda and the Taliban, the people responsible as the legitimate government of Afghanistan. When there is a legitimate government that the United States helped uh, create and has backed in power still because the former vice president, well, the vice president of Afghanistan, Amrullah Saleh, is now the acting president under the constitution and with uh, uh, Ahmed Massoud, son of the famous Afghan commander Ahmed Shah Massoud, is in the Panjshir Valley where they have not surrendered. And the Biden administration is ignoring them and rushing forward with recognizing al-Qaeda and its allies as the legitimate rulers of Afghanistan. And by the way, Brian, just to add insult to injury, they're going to fund it with U.S. tax dollars. Your taxes are going to pay to put those responsible for 9-11 in power and give them unprecedented um, international recognition and the ability to organize. Al-Qaeda is today You think this is going – it's in the works now? You think this is in the works now? Brian, I don't think I know it's in the works. Uh, Anas Haqqani is in, was in Kabul yesterday negotiating for this government. This is what Zomal Khalazad has promised the Taliban. This is what Pakistan has been promised. This is what the United States, he promised it on behalf of the United States. He was backed by the State Department. He was backed by the White House. He's not some rogue guy who's just doing it on his own. He has the backing of the United States government. Unbelievable. Laura Logan here. Uh, so here, here's what we're looking at now. The Taliban now are in control of the streets in and around Kabul. 
They will decide. The State Department's negotiating with them to get our people out. We also understand that they're knocking on doors, beginning to drag out those who helped Americans over the last 20 years. Uh, do you believe that the State Department will have to give up what? Or what do you think the State Department has to give up in order to get our people out? <laughs> it's too late. It's too late for you to say, what does the State Department have to give up? They've already given it all up. Look at what is happening. We have given up sensitive military equipment and technology to U.S. enemies, terrorist enemies, to al-Qaeda, to the Taliban. They are terrorists, to the Haqqani Network, who are the Afghan al-Qaeda. And we have given it to the Pakistanis, who are their main sponsors and allies and backers, and who are allied in this with the Chinese, the Iranians, the Russians. So we've literally given that technology to all of our enemies. And by the way, the NSA and the intel agencies, the CIA, they watched this happen in real time. And not one single agency did anything to stop it that we know of, right? Nothing that is visible. And at the same time, we know that the Pakistani intelligence services have taken over the Afghan intelligence services. What does that mean? That literally means that when they're going door to door, they're doing it with the biometrics and the records from the intelligence agencies, from the Afghan government, that tell them precisely who to target. This is happening. It began happening within 12 hours of the Taliban moving into these areas. It is impossible in a country and in cities which are vast, where most of the addresses are through landmarks. Okay, my house is the one that's opposite the this, on the corner of that, near the mosque, right? That's how you find them. How did they know where to go? Because they had the records from the intelligence services. Wow. So we know that. And when Biden says, in that clip you played, here's something really important, Brian. He says, oh, when these terrorists emerge in Afghanistan, we retain the capability to take them out. Well, that means that you right now have the capability to stop what's happening. And you're not using it. Biden said that very clearly. We have this capability. We've maintained it. And we're able to use it. So why aren't you using it right now to stop any of this from happening? You are allowing it to happen. And don't forget, the Taliban released all of the terrorists that the U.S. government and the Afghan government put in prison. They released every single one of them. And lastly, the CIA has a long been known, this has been written about in the New York Times and other places, they backed an organization as, uh, in Khost, in the east of Afghanistan, called the Khost you know, Paramilitary Force. They're the Khost Protection Forces. They're trained by the agency. They know their tactics. They know their methods. They're equipped by the agency. Um, you know, they have endless amounts of arms and supplies because it was funded by the agency. Well, they have now been taken over. There's pictures of them being taken over by the Haqqani Network. The uh, Saraj Haqqani, the leader of the Haqqani Network, his uncle is now the governor of Khost. This is al-Qaeda. They have pledged allegiance to al-Qaeda, um, which is the Bayat. They have sworn allegiance to al-Qaeda. They follow their ideology. They are the brothers of the Taliban. They are in the Taliban's command structure. They help to run the Taliban and uh, al-Qaeda's war in Afghanistan. This is now the governor of Khost province who now has access to everything that the CIA gave to the uh, host wow. protection forces. Unbelievable. Right? So, and, and, and at the same time, the president of the United States has admitted that we have retained the ability to do whatever we want about that, to stop it, and we've done precisely what? Nothing. Nothing. Here, here's what he said on Good Morning America about the Taliban. Cut nine. Do you believe the Taliban have changed? No. 
I think, let me put it this way. I think they're going through sort of an existential crisis about do they want to be recognized by the international community as being a legitimate government? I'm not sure they do. But look, they have... They care they, about their beliefs more. Well, they do. But they also care about whether they have food to eat, whether they have an income that can make any money and run an economy. They care about whether or not they can hold together the society that they, in fact, say they care so much about. I'm not counting on any of that, but that is part of what I think is going on right now in terms of, I, I'm not sure I would have predicted, George, nor would you or anyone else, that when we decided to leave, that they'd provide safe passage for Americans to get out. What's he even talking about? They haven't. Uh-huh. So that's very, very revealing, that they would provide safe passage for the Americans to get out. What he is talking about are the secret amendments to the deal that Zomal Khalilzad struck on behalf of the American people, that the American people have been prevented from knowing what is in it. This is classified. And while Congress has been, uh, some members of Congress have been briefed on this, it remains classified today. Every journalist in America, every congressional leader should be asking the Biden administration to de classify immediately the terms of those secret annexes. Why? Because what he's talking about, this leaked out during the negotiations, and it's impossible to vet, to confirm it independently, right? Um, but what, what, what I heard from multiple sources at the time was that Zoma Khalizad had gone to the Taliban and asked them to provide safe passage and to protect, to form rings around U.S. bases uh, so that U.S. forces could leave without any incident so that there would be nothing to derail the withdrawal and you wouldn't have the American people say, hey, wait a minute, how come we're leaving Afghanistan when uh, our terrorist uh, enemies are still attacking us? So what, and, and at the very same time, Brian, they were allowed, they were given a pass to continue targeting and killing our Afghan allies. So imagine the level of betrayal that we're talking about. And this is something that is really important for Americans out there to understand. When you're, you know, being trapped into this political argument and propaganda about thinking that you are in some kind of false choice between stay in Afghanistan forever or get out, yep. that, is a, that is a false contract that is designed to prevent you from asking these questions. What does it say to the Afghans and every ally of America in the world that the people that you relied on, don't forget, we went to these people for help. You cannot go over to uh, the other part of the world without getting help from Russia to let you use its bases in Uzbekistan, right, in order to go into Afghanistan. We needed help from our allies in the region. We needed the Qataris right now to take in Afghan refugees. So we're ignoring the fact and not addressing it publicly that the Qataris have funded much of this invasion, and so have the Pakistanis, that they've been handing out bucket loads of cash, that all of these so-called governors and commanders who surrendered were bought and paid for, right, by people who play both sides. They're playing the U.S. side and they're playing the Taliban and the terrorist side. Where is the Taliban's political office? It's in Qatar. Is that an accident? No, it's not. The Qataris have been funding and financing and backing and giving legitimacy to the Taliban and uh, the Haqqani network, al-Qaeda, and all these other terrorists for years now. And we know that. But uh, we wanted to negotiate with them. We wanted to negotiate uh, by proxy through the Taliban with al-Qaeda terrorists. 
So we have used the Qataris to do that. This is how disgusting and dirty and dishonest politics is on the other side when you lift the curtain. And what they're doing now is they're using the crisis, the confusion, the chaos, has got everybody talking about the fate of Afghan women. Okay, why are we even debating about it? It's a joke. We're debating it because that is where they want you to look. They want you to focus on what is going to happen to the American civilians. They don't have safe passage for them, but they have safe passage for the military, not because they care more about the lives of soldiers, but because they wanted to get out. They wanted to legitimize the Taliban and al-Qaeda, and they wanted to do it without having to be responsible and accountable for it to the American mm-hmm. people. They don't mind being responsible for the chaos and confusion, because what do they say? Oh, it was a failure of intelligence. Oh, we didn't know the Taliban were going to do it so quickly. That's, um, I mean, it, is, it is ridiculous, the level of deception that is involved here. Gotcha. And, and what Americans are missing is that this is the end of American power. This is the end of American authority um, on the uh, on the world stage. I agree with right? you, and we have Joe, Joe Biden specifically to blame for it. Although there was a lot of mistakes done along the way, Laura's got an oh, incredible. No, there's spec- a lot of people behind him, right. Brian. There's those people behind him that we don't see. They're the real ones to blame, and Biden too. Laura, we're going to watch your show ten o'clock Sunday, and watch your updates. And of course, you're on with Tucker. Tucker's got a special on on uh, Tucker Carlson today. We're a long interview with you. And then we'll watch it on Fox Nation. Laura, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. one 408 Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first. Only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Plan it's for every, every adult to get a booster shot eight months after you got your second shot. It will make you safer and for longer. And it will help us end the pandemic faster. Well, the Washington Post has an editorial saying we don't need a booster shot. I guess they're going to get their account frozen or suspended uh, because they have two esteemed doctors, one University of Denver, one University of Chicago, says it's not necessary. They're looking over and they're trying to give us a third shot. How's a look around the world, Mr. President, when most people haven't had their first? Incredible. So he tried to distract everyone by struggling through another speech of his where he can't see the prompter and doesn't, isn't familiar with the copy. And then he just excoriates people and goes after governors that don't go along with his policy. Now we have a bunch of lawsuits going back and forth. You have a governor of New York that's going to be taken over that's going to have a max mandate for every first grader around. And now you also have, keep in mind, a fight in Florida with various counties and the governor. And then you have the president says, next week I'm going to announce my policy as it relates to uh, the governors that don't want to go along with a mass mandate. So how dare they, Nate, um, we not live in an autocracy where the governors want to give parents a say in their kids' lives. Absolutely incredible. Got an extended interview of Joe Biden to go through, and we have nothing to go through today because he has nothing on his agenda. But he did get briefed, or he's getting briefed now, about the state of things in Afghanistan with the vice president, who then is going to Vietnam. Not kidding. Going to Vietnam. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. 
Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, and hopefully people are paying attention. This hour, we joined by Frank Siller, Tons of Towers founder, 20th anniversary to 9-11. How appropriate. If you want to get the mindset of those who fought in the war of Afghanistan and Iraq as we chose to lose that war, Frank Siller is the guy. He's been in touch with them constantly, and his foundation helps them when they do come home and mortgages for the families uh, who have their loved ones left behind. Lucas Tomlinson will be with us, great Pentagon reporter, asking the great questions, also a military veteran, and Chris Wallace in a matter of moments. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. plan is for every adult to get a booster shot eight months after you got your second shot. It will make you safer and for longer. And it will help us end the pandemic faster. Yeah, it's Joe Biden wrestling with the teleprompter. Booster shot, yeah? Desperate for a distraction. President Biden pushes for booster shots for the vaccinated. Meanwhile, mandate mania rages on businesses, schools, sports. All are affected, and the fighting is heating up. Number two. So Americans should understand that troops might have to be there beyond <laughs> August 31st. No, Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't. The troops will if stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. If there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. Ensuring loss. President Biden is saying U.S. troops will stay in Afghanistan until all Americans who want to leave are out. Why don't we make sure Americans were out before we moved out our military? And when you tell a bunch of people in a war zone to find their way to an airport, when the Taliban are blocking every artery to the capital, that is pretty much something... I would just flat out say is un-American. Number one. The intelligence clearly indicated multiple scenarios were possible. There was nothing that I or anyone else saw that indicated a collapse of this army and this government in 11 days. Unbelievable. And he spent his whole time in the military. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, letting down our nation. Days after the collapse of Afghanistan, the Biden brass speak. POTUS, Milley, Austin, all show why they don't deserve to lead our nation. The embarrassment and incompetence are beyond anything I have witnessed uh, in my lifetime. The death and destruction and carnage we are witnessing now, uh, nobody is uh, prepared for. And now we just hope that we can get 15,000 Americans out. And reports now, as we're seeing from, uh, uh, that we're getting now from Kabul Airport, Hamad Karzai Airport is, uh, is just as chaotic today as it was the last two days as we try to get thousands of Americans out, many of which are stuck and afraid to leave and also told to shelter in place. Chris Wallace, you've seen a lot in your lifetime. A lot of wars build up, the, the drawdown. I know you've studied this war for your book, Countdown 19, uh, excuse me, The Untold Story of the uh, Countdown Bin Laden, The Untold Story of 247-Day Hunt to Bring the Mastermind of 9-11 to Justice. Did you ever expect this dismount? No. Uh, good to be back with you, Brian. Uh, this has been terrible. Uh, you know, it, 
in his interview uh, with George Stephanopoulos, and it was a very good interview by George. I mean, he really pressed the president, uh, and I don't think the president looked looked good at all in answering the questions. Uh, He said, you know, this was inevitable, that there was no way this was going to end without this chaos. But remember, it was on July 8th, it was just a little over a month ago, that in the White House, he was asked basically the same question, and the president said this was not inevitable and that it wasn't going to happen and we weren't going to have another Saigon. No way we were going to have another Saigon. And uh, in many ways, this is worse because, frankly, we've gotten a lot more people out in, uh, in the two years before the helicopters were on the, on, on the embassy rooftop in Saigon. Uh, this, this is another failure, intelligence failure, operational failure and a failure of leadership. So you don't think this could have been handled, this actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happened. So for you, that was always priced into the decision? Yes. Ugh. I mean... And his explanation, and I just want to play one more, his explanation of the chaos we saw with those Afghans hanging off the plane, cut three. We've all seen the pictures. We've seen those hundreds of people packed into a C-17. We've seen Afghans falling. That was four days ago, five days ago. What did you think when you first saw those pictures? What I thought was we have to gain control of this. We have to Mm -hmm. move this more quickly. We have to move in a way in which we can take control of that airport. And we did. That was so four or five days ago. Chris? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. First of all, it wasn't four or five days ago when he did the interview on, uh, on Wednesday, yesterday. Uh, it had happened on Monday. So it was only two days ago, yep. 48 hours ago. And, uh, and that's not much of an answer anyway. I mean, it was horrifying. Yes, we have gotten more control over... Uh, as you say, Hamid Karzai International Airport. Uh, and a lot of people say, why didn't we keep uh, Bagram Air Base, which would have been a lot easier to, to defend? Uh, and that has two runways, so you could have had twice as many planes going in and out. But the ar- argument, well, it was two days ago or four days ago, is, uh, you know, I, I have to say the, the main failure is one of policy. But there's also, you know, the PR, the optic sense of it, certainly not as important but the shots of, of Joe Biden at Camp David by himself in shirt, shirt sleeves, uh, you know, watching a TV screen of his advisors, with, you know, with nobody around the table, just just him by the table because it was so important to be at Camp David. Uh, and then and then coming back in that interview yesterday and saying the buck stops here on Monday. And then he didn't have enough fingers to do all the finger pointing he was doing blaming everybody from President Trump to the Afghan government to the Afghan army uh, to the Afghans who didn't get out soon enough. Uh, I don't know how, frankly, this could have been handled any worse. I really don't. And, Chris, you know what's amazing? You know, I used to, for this show in particular, watch other channels to see if I can get new ideas for guests and sound. And I, over the last four or five years, six years, it's been useless. I even watched the Sunday show. You're the only one I can get something interesting to help my Monday, this show on Monday. I mean, literally, it sounds just like uh, biased reporting. So this has changed. 
I actually saw Jake Tapper beside himself. I, I'm watching programming that they can't explain this type of incompetence. It's it. You can't duck this. He tried to get you to duck this with his booster shot announcement, but he couldn't. And then took three days also for General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and the Secretary of Defense to speak. And what they did, they hard, hardly made me feel as if I was getting the true story. For example, we know it's chaotic at the airport. Listen to his description about uh, the airport in Kabul. Cut 16. Currently, the security situation at the airport is stable. However, there are threats, and we're closely monitoring those. The Taliban are in and around Kabul right now, but they are not interfering with our operations. Through the State Department, the Taliban are facilitating the safe passage to the airport for American citizens. Uh, tell that to the American citizens, many of which were, are afraid to get out and were told to shelter in place. And they're basically unescorted, supposed to make their way to Kabul. Uh, that, that is not the truth on the ground. And I hear that there hasn't been a line yet. It's all these huge huddles around the airport with people uh, handing their kids over the top. Yeah, I, I mean, inside, I mean, if you want to read it narrowly, he's right. Apparently, inside the walls of the airport, per se, that the situation is more stable. There aren't people that are running out on the runway, but you're exactly right. You know, if you're not in the airport, you could be a million miles away, and particularly if you're an Afghan, and no matter how good your paperwork is, if you have a green card, if you're one of the special immigrant uh Visa, you know, you're a million miles away in terms of getting through those Taliban checkpoints. And even for, some Americans are getting through, apparently, but some are not. And, you know, if you were in downtown Kabul and trying to get to that airport, uh, even as an American with an American passport, uh, you know, in fairness, uh, General Austin or I'm sorry, Secretary Austin was absolutely straight about it. He said, you know, we don't have the capability to go into Kabul at this point. And get you. We, we cannot ensure you safe passage to the airport. In fact, this is exactly it. And I couldn't believe I was hearing these words. Cut 17. I mean, you're still saying you're focused on the airfield. They, these people can't get into the airfield. Well, we're going to do everything we can to uh, continue to try to uh, de-conflict uh, and, and create uh, uh, passageways for them to get to the airfield. I don't have the capability to go out and, mm -hmm. and extend operations currently into uh, into uh, Kabul. And, and where do you take that? I mean, how far can you extend into Kabul, you know, and, uh, and, and how long does it take to flow those forces in to be able to do that? Wow. Who was planning well, this I mean, out? He's, 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 well, he's telling the truth. I mean, we lost. Uh, the Taliban's in charge. Uh, you know, it's amazing that we even have control of the airport. But, you know, he's just simply stating a fact. When you lose a city, when you lose a country, and the Taliban, uh, one of the most brutal regimes in, in history, is there in complete control, you're, you're basically, you know, there are things where there is there some leverage we have? Yes, but minimal, and certainly not in terms of force. You know, it, 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 you're going to go fight your way into Kabul to get Americans out? No. <laughs> I mean, if we were going to do that, we should, we should have stayed in with thousands of troops in the first place. A couple of things. He's right, but that's ridiculous. For you to be a general your entire career and now Secretary of Defense and sit there, and I don't care what the president said, whether it's Trump or Clinton or, 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 or President Biden, I need everybody out by this certain day. Well, we got about 15,000 Americans in, in, in the country, Mr. President. How do we get them out in this scenario when the Taliban take control? And we all agree they will. Well, uh, if his answer is, 
Well, that's up to you to figure out. Then say, well, Mr. President, I need 50,000 troops in there. Or I need 30,000 troops in there. Or I need 10,000 troops in there. Or whatever we do, don't close Bagram Air Base until they're out. And if he says, well, I'm closing it, then I, you know what, Mr. President, you're going to need a new Secretary of Defense because I can't put my name on this. I can't have the deaths of 9,000 Americans on my, on my conscience and, and have this cap off my career. I was fine in the private sector. He was probably making a zillion dollars retired. Well... I don't know. I mean, look, there's enough blame to go around. I'm not going to sit there and go after uh, Secretary Lawson. He's, but why not? He, well, because he's because a, it was his you know, plan. The, the, president made, the president made some decisions. I think the president, you want to pile on Don, uh, uh, Joe Biden or Donald Trump, for that matter, for what he did, but especially Joe Biden for what he's done these last eight months, be, be my guess. But, you know, it's it, – it's, and – I don't know. You pile on. You do. I mean, I'm I'm not piling on. I'm I'm assessing the situation. No, no, no. I'm saying I'm I'm just saying that I I agree with you with the president. It's a little bit hard, and you know, in fairness, again, I'm not talking about. I'm not going to defend Joe Biden in any way. But if you're the defense secretary and these are the orders you get from the commander in chief. what are you going to do? Start pulling? Start? You're going to quit? I don't know. You know, you have an obligation to the troops that are there. Uh, you're in the middle of a war. I, it, it gets it gets complicated. Well, gets I, would, I would just simply say this: I cannot guarantee the lives of ten thousand people. Uh, I cannot well, get our people. Out. I, he, I, may, he may well have said that, and and you know, it, I, I hope he did say that because it, it was crazy. The idea that you, you're going to, in the end, that you were going to uh, allow this deterioration. And what did we have by the end? 650 troops. I mean, we had we had no protection at all. No protection for the embassy. No protection for the for uh, the the airport. No protection for Bagram. Uh, you know, the, the, I, that that certainly is possible. Look, I I can't, I can't protect these people with the force you've given me. Uh, first, Chris, at the end of the show, I was shocked to hear your announcement. You had skin cancer. How you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. Um, it was, uh, that's, you know, I've missed you guys, you, and uh, especially your listeners. Um, I, so it's a shock, i got to say. You know, you, you hear, uh, you go to a dermatologist, say, here, there's a little rough patch of skin. They do a biopsy, and they come back a week later and say, uh, you've got, fortunately, the least serious kind of skin cancer, basal cell carcinoma, and you're going to have to have surgery. And, it, you know, it's, it's not a walk in the park. I'm I'm much much better. Uh, my nose looks like uh, somebody punched me in the nose, but I'm okay with makeup. And uh, I'll, the main point here, please, folks, take this seriously. Put on sunscreen. Wear a hat. Uh, don't bake in the sun. Uh, you know, it 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 just is uh, something you got to take seriously because I, I went. To, let me just quickly say I went to the skin surgeon doctor, Mohs surgery. If you look it up. It's a special kind of surgery that you have where they just take little slices. This guy in, here in Washington, D.C., had six rooms going at the same time, six people in the rooms all going through the same thing I was going through at the same time. Skin cancer is a booming business, so do everything you can to protect yourselves. Great point. I'm glad you're okay. You look great. I would never know. I just thought, okay, well-deserved summer vacation for a guy that hasn't taken off in a year and a half. So. I did not know that you were out uh, for anything except for hanging out with George Clooney in Italy. Uh, I wish. No, this is not a, a Lake Como summer. <laughs> Got it. Um, Chris, thanks so much. Glad you're okay. Uh, glad to have you back. And, and, let me, and just real quickly, uh, on the show, we're going to have a top White House official ask him a lot of the very good questions. 
questions that we discussed. We're also going to have Ben Sass, Republican senator from uh, Nebraska, who is just brutal about, uh, and I think rightly so, about Joe Biden's performance in all this. And we'll have the latest on COVID and posters and school mask mandate bans and all of that, all of that on Fox News Sunday. Go get him. Uh, Chris Wallace, thanks. Appreciate it. Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What a change from June and that G7 meeting when there was a kind of triumphant re-entry into the world by Joe Biden. He was welcomed with open arms at NATO, at the European Union, at the G7 in Cornwall. And they were all delighted to see Biden back and America back in the game. And what you're hearing totally publicly now from allies right across Europe, MPs in the UK, conservative MPs standing up in Parliament saying that they are ashamed that the US commander-in-chief is blaming Afghans, some of whom they fought alongside, and not taking any blame for this himself. Um, Really disparaging comments in public from other NATO allies about the US performance here. Wow, uh, that's Katie Kay uh, talking about what the rest of the world thinks about this terrible dismount. The president not calling up world leaders before and not even after. Now he's working the phones, but he wouldn't even talk to us. Now I want you to hear what just happened in the British uh, House of Commons. To see their commander in chief call into question the courage of men I fought with, to claim that they ran, it's shameful. Yeah. He did. He said, well, they ran. What do you want us to do? And the and the president uh, ran out of the country. So uh, they didn't want to fight. I had no idea they weren't going to fight. They were fighting. 2,600 lost in August, 60, between 50 and 60,000. Larry Logan thinks more like 75,000 have lost their lives fighting. But for the last few months, what happened is we lost air cover. We no longer gave them support, logistics, or anything else. We were their captains and colonels. And they also said, okay, we could do this, but stick around. And we said, no, we're leaving which means the Taliban got more numbers, more armaments, and they would lay them down and run. If they came up to you and you, in a fight that you don't think you could win, and they said, not only am I killing you, if you don't lay down your gun, I'm killing your family, you turned around and America's not there, almost everybody else would say, take my gun, I'll keep my family. Wouldn't you? That is the scenario. That's not spin. That's reality. And I wonder how the president would respond to those comments and those comments from a, a British parliamentarian. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Most intelligence analysis has predicted that al-Qaeda would come back 18 to 24 months after a withdrawal of American troops. Is that analysis now being revised? Could it be sooner? It could be, but George, look, here's the deal. Al-Qaeda, ISIS, they metastasize. There's a significantly greater threat to the United States from Syria. There's a significantly greater threat from East Africa. There's a significantly greater threat to other places in the world than it is from the mountains of Afghanistan. 
and we have maintained the ability to have an over-the-horizon capability to take them out. We don't have a military in Syria to make sure that we're going to be protected. There's so much wrong with that statement, but Lucas Tomlinson picked one thing out and, and tweeted it out. Uh, he's our Pentagon reporter, also served in the military. Uh, when he said, we don't have military in Syria, he is wrong. He should know this. We have 900 U.S. troops in Syria, and who knows what else. Uh, Lucas, welcome uh, back. You've been asking great questions, keeping us going at the Pentagon. Uh, what do you think about the House of, first off, why would the president, how would the president not know we have troops in Syria? Well, Brian, a lot of Pentagon officials are scratching their heads. Great to join you, by the way. And nothing gets by you, Brian. I just tweeted that out there four minutes ago. You're already leading your segment with this, man. You got a crack team over there. Yeah, that's Allison. Allison's doing that. But good job. She doesn't mess around. Yeah, I mean, President Biden's the commander in chief, and he's sitting there making the case to to George Stephanopoulos in this interview about how the U.S. maintains over the horizon capabilities. Uh, There's special operations forces on the ground in Syria, okay? There are all kinds of, of U.S. assets on the ground. It's one of the reasons ISIS hasn't come back, officials tell me. So to say that uh, there's no U.S. troops on the ground, that's just not true, Brian. It's not true, but there's so much that is not true. How about with uh, with uh, G- with General Milley coming out and saying that nobody predicted this, uh, nobody predicted this type of response and the rapid collapse? Listen to this, cut 14. The intelligence clearly indicated multiple okay. scenarios were possible. One of those was an outright Taliban takeover following a rapid collapse of the Afghan security forces and the government. Another was a civil war, and a third was a negotiated settlement. However, the time frame of a rapid collapse, that was widely estimated and ranged from weeks to months and even years following our departure. There was nothing that I or anyone else saw that indicated a collapse of this army and this government in 11 days. Well, we know in the New York Times yesterday, they said an intel failure is not true. The intel agencies, and I'm quoting now, had been stepping up their warnings about the deteriorating conditions in Afghanistan throughout the summer. Their reports grew more specific in July, noting how the Taliban had taken over roads leading to Kabul and how the group had learned lessons from its takeover of the country in the 1990s. So... Uh, to me, the intel agencies are going to begin to fight back because they were thrown out of the bus with the president and with the military yesterday. Well, Brian, there's certainly a lot of finger pointing going on. To, to be fair, though, let's let's back up the tape, okay? On August 6th, when the first provincial capital fell the Taliban uh, in Afghanistan, the intel agency said, yes, the Taliban's on the march. But just last week, Brian, on August 9th, okay, there was a new military assessment, not CIA assessment, but a U.S. military assessment that said the Taliban could take over the country in 30 days, okay? It turned out to be six. So for the intel community to now say to these leaks, oh, we told you so, we told you so, not sure I totally buy that, Brian, because just last week they were claiming 30 days the country fell to the Taliban in just six. Lucas, the other thing I'd like to bring you to is the fact that General Milley, and I imagine any drill sergeant, could assess the quality of troops and the possibility of their success or failure. They're, they're forced to study the opposition. Why is it that no one could have assessed what the Afghan troops are, number one, the numbers in which they are, they're, they're not 300,000, the numbers that are actually good fighters and grade them, where we're most vulnerable. General Miller's like, yeah, I had no idea this was going to happen. Really? I mean, isn't that their job? Hasn't he been doing this for 50 years, evaluating troop strength? 
Brian, a lance corporal on the ground in Helmand province during the worst years the Afghan war could have told you this. Like you said, any sergeant, any lance corporal, anybody could have said this. You've heard the horse soldiers as brave special forces who took out the Taliban by calling in those vicious B-52 strikes in 2001 in Majri Sharif. Well, let me introduce you to the ghost soldiers. Those were these uh, made-up Taliban, or excuse me, uh, excuse me, neither, these Afghan units, okay, these, these Afghan army units that didn't exist, and some of them, by the way, might have been aligned with, with al-Qaeda and the Taliban. But let me tell you about these Afghan army units. The U.S. taxpayer funded the Afghan army to the tune of more than $85 billion. Let me say that one more time to your viewers. I hope nobody drives off the road. $85 billion. And let's talk about some of these troops. Now, granted, some of them fought bravely. I mean, everybody's been throwing them under the bus. Uh, over 50,000 have been killed in the last couple of years, over 50,000 fighting the Taliban. But, Brian, one more thing. Some of these troops were not good, right? They were pedophiles. They were sleeping with goats. They were stoned. They were practically they were shot some of our um, men and women, okay, uh, insider attacks. And some of them, I, you know, some of them would just pick up a weapon in, on full auto and spray a compound. It's like, can anybody teach these guys where the flipping safety is on this weapon okay understood uh and i understand they're still fighting it's also kind of you know we think that okay they the the afghan people have picked their leader and it's going to be the taliban but you watch some of the protests yesterday they're running around with the afghan flag you know the one that kahani left behind so there are a lot of people there that are not going to go by easily and masood's son is marshalling up a northern army and is asking the u.s for help First of all, today marks the first uh, Afghanistan Independence Day under Taliban rule. Uh, today is, is, is Afghanistan's Independence Day. Yes, you can note the irony. It's interesting about Masood's son. He has an op-ed today in the Washington Post. Of course, his dad was one of the greatest guerrilla fighters to ever take on the Soviet army in the 80s. You know, the Soviets sent you know 4,000 tanks over the country to crush the resistance, the Mujahideen, funded by the CIA. They, the Soviets never once defeated Masood. Multiple operations in the Panjshir Valley north of uh, Kabul, and Massoud never cracked. In fact, uh, al-Qaeda assassinated him two days before 9-11. Why? They knew he would be the greatest asset for the U.S. government, the U.S. military, and the CIA. They killed him two days before 9-11. That set in motion those vicious attacks against the United States on 9-11, Brian. All right. I want you to hear uh, Lloyd Austin explain why our people are stuck. Now, I've got to ask you this. Have you heard these reports? I'm just getting them now. That the U.K. is leaving Kabul airport. Uh, the Karzai airport and going to get their people and the U.S. is in screaming fights with them because our commanders are not allowed to leave to say you'll screw up the deal if you go out and get your people. So we're letting our, our the Americans work their way to the airport, but the British, for the most part, are going to going to guide them to the airport. Do you know anything about this? Well, Brian, I saw the reports. It's actually one of the questions I was hoping would get asked in the briefing yesterday with Austin and uh, General Milley. I've seen the reports. It's very clear right now, uh, based on these, what the top leader said yesterday, no U.S. troops are leaving the wire, leaving Kabul airport when the British are, two para. The British paratroopers are leaving uh, the airport. Now, granted, to be fair, to be fair, Brian, you know, it's a smaller British force. They also have a narrower interest. Uh, they're, they're trying to rescue hundreds of interpreters. Whereas the U.S. military and the State Department are trying to get upwards of 20,000, 30,000 out. Of course, a lot of people are putting, throwing some shade on that and saying that really it's a race against time. You've got to get these guys get out there soon. I mean, 
mean, even though President Biden was open to staying past August 31st, and there's certainly some evidence, hey, the U.S. military is still ramping up. Uh, U.S. Marines, paratroopers are still flooding into the Kabul airport. We heard from General Milley there's U.S. Special Operations Forces now on the ground. You know why they're there is, you know, let's think, you know, Black Hawk down, hopefully not the tragic part of that story, but just convoys. Like, they might need to bust through. But you're right. Right now, British forces are well, until this, these reports came out, quietly going into Kabul in the middle of the night downtown, rescuing their people. Right now, the U.S. military is stuck on the base. The big question, Brian, now I'm, in the, I'm not in the briefing right now, but was that a deal that the U.S. had to make with the Taliban to sit inside the airport like a, like a little playpen, you know, sit in the sandbox? Hey, Lucas Tomlinson, Pentagon reporter with us. Lucas, why do we leave the, why do we leave the embassy? We leave the embassy and set up in an open field? I mean, why do we leave the embassy? The Russians and Chinese can stay. We built this complex. Uh, it's evidently we've, all our resources are there. That, therefore, the we beginning of the disorganization happened then. I thought we had a force to protect the embassy. Brian, it's one of the biggest questions that I have right now. And in fact, if I wasn't talking to you, I'd be in there, you know, firing this that same question over at Kirby and this Army general. I've had a lot of people reach out to me from top levels of the U.S. military saying, I'm confused. I thought the flag comes down last. There are U.S. military members insulted and frankly just pissed off, Brian, that the flag came down first and then we started the evacuation. This makes no sense, they tell me. That makes no sense. The, the embassy cost over $700 million. It has walls as thick as the Fox headquarters there in New York, and we evacuated that, and now people are wondering, wait, why are we doing stuck at the airport? That being said, General Milley's pretty clear yesterday talking about Bagram, and this applies to the embassy, too, is they wanted to fall back on one position. But the problem is, Brian, is this airport in Kabul is in the middle of four and a half million people, and you know there are you – know, I don't even want to say what you know is on a lot of our minds is at what point does the Taliban go from this PR blitz to, hey, we want you out of here. And, of course, look at their friends. You know, 20 of the most dangerous uh, terrorist groups are in the Hindu Kush Mountains not far away. That's true. But our military took them down, what, three and a half weeks uh, last time and then kept them there at bay go. for 20 years. And then there you have, you have, we have five 6,000 there now. Uh, I mean, right. why, we, why did we take the civilians out before the military? Has anyone thought about that? And to give up that base with the prisons there? There are 5,000 Taliban prisoners and some of the most hardened al-Qaeda fighters. Bagram Air Base had two runways. I'm not a logistics expert, Brian, but you'd think if you had two runways, you could take off twice as many uh, planes uh, filled with refugees. Bagram was was the biggest U.S. air base uh, that we had in the last 20 years. We also had fast movers there, fighter jets, drones, AC-130 gunships. They could have mowed down this Taliban onslaught. It might be a very different situation today, Brian. All right, uh, Lucas, I'll let you back in there. The Pentagon briefing's happening. And then there'll be a one at the State Department, but there will not be one from the White House. He wants to talk about booster shots. Uh, Lucas, it's such an embarrassing time for America. Our men and women that fight deserve so much more from their commanders. A lot of our people feel the same way, and our own Jennifer Griffin is right now lobbing her questions into this Army General at the Pentagon briefing right now, Brian. All right. Thanks so great much. Great to join you. All right. Same here. Lucas doing a great job. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. So the Pentagon trying to make uh, some sense out of what they're doing. But uh, I'm willing to be educated, always. Tell me why we left the Bagram Airport. Tell me, Air, air Base, tell me why that fortified base is, is uh, not as good as Kabul. Tell me why, if you're there to protect the embassy, you left the embassy and didn't protect it. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here looking over uh, how we lost Afghanistan and the humiliation uh, and the de- and the health of the 15,000 Americans that are there, maybe more, and those who have allied with us. We're not sure who they are. I want to make sure they're thoroughly screened, but if they pass, they should be back here. Frank Siller joins us now, chairman and CEO of Tunsil Towers Foundation. As you know, it's 20 years uh, since the 9-11 attacks and on the 20th. Uh, on the 9-11, uh, in, I guess we're coming up now in a couple of weeks, uh, Frank will finish up his walk. His walk started, the Never Forget Walk, on August 1st. Over the course of 42 days, Frank will walk over 500 miles from the Pentagon to Shanksville over to the World Trade Center. Frank, welcome back. Member T2T.org to support your great walk and your great uh, organization. Where are you now? Well, right now I am in Pennsylvania. I am walking a few mountains uh, that are beautiful and the rolling hills. Um, I just came across a classroom because they're back in school in Pennsylvania, and they were just going out in recess, maybe about fourth graders or so. And I went over and I gave them all a FDMY hat um, and told them a little story about Stephen, of course, age appropriate. And um, it was so cute. It was beautiful. But that's exactly why I'm doing this, Brian, to make sure that the youth of America finds out about what happened 20 years ago when Islamic terrorists uh, tried to kill as many Americans as possible, but did kill 2,977 of them. You know, and, and that changed everybody's lives old. forever. And a lot of people joined the military in military response. And, and by October, we were in Afghanistan. Frank, so many people that you help fight in these wars or on the police, uh, you know, fighting to keep us safe. And you buy, you make sure they have uh, take care of their mortgages and tunnels to towers can in, continue to grow. What have you been hearing as we have just given up Afghanistan? They work so hard to win and hold. It's so sad. I've been talking to Gold Star Widows every day now since this debacle. The saddest thing I've seen in a, a life where we, as the greatest country in the world, can't prepare properly and get our Americans out safely. I mean, uh, it's disgusting. And that we don't keep our promise about those Afghanis that helped us on the war on terror. And they're going to be left behind, many of them, and they're going to be slaughtered. And anyone that thinks anything different than they're going to be slaughtered is naive. The problem with a lot of Americans are they are naive. These people over there will kill them. The Taliban will slaughter their children just to make an example of them so they can keep uh, Sharia law. Uh, it's disgusting. Uh, it's upsetting. And these, and these Gold Star families, many of which we've helped and delivered a mortgage-free home to them because their loved one gave their life for our country, uh, they've, they are dis- distraught. That's the word, distraught. Yeah, I can imagine. And, uh, and Frank, I guess everyone's going to take a moment on 9-11 now, but as high as we were in 2011 with the death of bin Laden right before this is going to this is going to really hurt uh, coming up on twenty years, don't you think? Uh, it is. It's hurtful right now. I'm I'm going to be in Shanksville on on Saturday. I am going to lay a wreath at the exact spot where Flight 93 came down when those heroes, those forty heroes on that plane, took down uh, these t- took over the 
took back their plane uh, from these terrorists and brought it down in, a, in, the, in, the, in the plains of uh, Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And I'm going to be there laying in wreath and saying a prayer with other Flight 93 families uh, that lost their loved one. And uh, to have this uh, coupled with what's going on in Afghanistan is so raw. It's just uh, disgusting. And uh, But listen. Uh, we must honor those who perished uh, 20 years ago. Right. Uh, that's why I'm doing this walk, and uh, and that's what I'm going to focus on. I can't change uh, our our our, uh, our president, uh, who is uh, guided by uh, I don't know who, uh, but they are making some terrible, terrible mistakes. Frank, uh, weary. I know you have the big concert on Saturday. I'll definitely be there. Tell us what to expect at Jones Beach. Well, thank God we know how. To- celebrate these great heroes and their lives that they've given for our, our, our country. Um, you, you know some of the, uh, the lineup uh, that, that we're going to have. We have Journey, Chainsmokers, Steve Miller Band, unbelievable, one of my favorite all time, Wyclef Jean, John Fogarty, still got an unbelievable, beautiful voice. So does Ann Wilson from Heart, Lee Bryce, great country uh, musician who does so much for the Town of the Dallas Foundation. Gavin DeGraw, same thing. You you can hear I'm walking, right? (laughs) On a highway. Uh, Gavin DeGraw will be there. Lee Greenwood, proud to be American. When you hear him sing that song, it's going to be unbelievable. Jack, Sandy Rodriguez, uh, Wade McDonald, and Flo Rida. It's going to be a great night, and we're going to – a lot of the musicians are for the youth of America. I want the youth out there uh, besides uh, ones like you and I. Not that I'm putting you my age, Brian, but – you get pretty close. But, right. Uh, <laughs> T2T.org. Uh, help Frank help other people. There's so many. The list is so long of, uh, of families in need. And all Frank wants to do is, is be able to help him out. So help him do that. Go to T2T.org, Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Do your research. I know you'll come back and support it even more. Frank, stay healthy. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for having me. And the opening of that concert is so respectful. We're going to honor these great heroes. When you see it, Brian, you've never seen anything like it. So. I'll be talking about it, I promise. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for being with us. We're going to have uh, Mohammed Hadi Abbasi with us shortly. He's an Afghanistan interpreter uh, for Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, who has great contacts over there, worked for years over there as a private contractor and spent almost 30 years in the military. He's going to be with us shortly. And then we'll do our first simulcast with Harris Faulkner show. Right now, we're watching the Pentagon briefing with Admiral John Kirby and the and the major general in charge. They're trying to explain how we have to depend on the Taliban in order to get our people out. How humiliating. And then we're going to have Carly Shimkus to find out if there's indeed more to know. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Plan is for every, every adult to get a booster shot eight months after you got your second shot will make you safer and for longer. 
and it will help us end the pandemic faster. Booster shot. Desperate for a distraction, President Biden pushes booster shots for the vaccinated. Meanwhile, mandate mania rages as businesses, schools, and sports all are affected and fighting is heating up. Number two. So Americans should understand that troops might have to be there beyond August 31st. No, Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't, the troops will if stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. If there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. Oh, very simple. Sorry for asking. Don't let us get in your way. Very aggravated president, ensuring loss. President saying U.S. troops will stay in Afghanistan until all Americans who want to leave are out. Why did we make sure Americans were out before we removed our military? And now it's even being revealed that the Biden State Department moved to dismantle protections for citizens trapped overseas in June before Kabul's fall. I'll bring you the details. Number one. The intelligence clearly indicated multiple scenarios were possible. There was nothing that I or anyone else saw that indicated a collapse of this army and this government in 11 days. Really? Letting down our nation. Days after the collapse of Afghanistan, the Biden brand, uh, brass speak. POTUS, Milley, Austin all show why they don't deserve to lead our nation. The embarrassment and incompetence are beyond anything I've witnessed, and the death, destruction, and carnage will only increase because they didn't prepare. And word is right now, things are really getting brutal around the airport. Taliban beginning to beat people who just will want to get out because their affiliation uh, with Americans and Americans making their way there. It is chaos. Joining us now, Mohammed Hadi Abbasi, Afghan. Oh, excuse me. We're going to wait. Uh, we're going to have him in in uh, 10 minutes. He's going to be joining us. I want to find out what's really on the ground. And I got to find out from people that are actually there that have contacts on the ground. But I will say this. We're getting some interesting reports. Now, the U.S. has been told Taliban will make sure the Americans get to you. So our orders to our military men and women are stick around the airport. The British were told the same thing, but they're ignoring it. So evidently, it's uh, been tweeted out to respected source to the lieutenant colonel this. Friction at airport between the U.S. and U.K. faces face commanders. U.S. forces will not leave the airport due to the Taliban deal. Two para, which is the name of a, a unit of British fighters, still running patrols into Kabul to collect people from safe houses. U.S. unhappy with them, saying it puts their deal at risk. They go on. Things are so bad between the U.S. and U.K. forces at Kabul airport. Para, that unit, have been tasked to observe U.S. forces in case they leave on short notice. See, there's no trust here. Two para OCs, commanding officers, had a screaming match with the 82nd Airborne. Very unhappy of the treatment of the Afghans by U.S. forces. Meanwhile, two other this, uh, two para are running constant patrols into Kabul to collect British and Irish and Afghan nationals due for evacuation. Any other nationally also picked up at location. Taliban are aware of patrols and taking no action. The U.S. is not allowed to show the courage that they display in everything they do. This is unbelievable. And as President Biden sits down to explain himself to George Stephanopoulos, there's nothing that makes me feel better about this. Listen to him talk about things on the ground. Cut three. We've all seen the pictures. We've seen those hundreds of people packed into a C-17. We've seen Afghans falling. That was four days ago, five days ago. What did you think when you first saw those pictures? What I thought was we're, we have to gain control of this. We have to move this more quickly. We have to move in a way in which we can take control of that airport. And we did. 
It was one day ago when he did the interview. And what difference does it make if it's four days? You talk about a Saigon, Saigon, Saigon moment and won't be like that. You said that on July 8th. And this is worse than anything that could happen. And your answer is four days ago. And I didn't see the whole interview, but George Stephanopoulos got positive reviews from Chris Wallace. Cut four. All troops are supposed to be out by August 31st. Even if Americans and our Afghan allies are still trying to get out, they're going to leave. We're going to do everything in our power to get all Americans out and our allies out. Does that mean troops will stay beyond August 31st if necessary? It depends on where we are and whether we can get ramp these numbers up to five to 7,000 a day coming out. If that's the case, they'll, be, they'll all be out. Because we've got like 10 to 15,000 Americans in the country right now, right? And are you committed to making sure that the troops stay until every American who wants to be out yes. is out? Yes. Says, and he looks so out of it and angry. How dare he be angry? We should be angry. This is your evacuation plan, and you expected this chaos, but surprised by the speed? You know what? You know the assets you have, how many tax dollars you have, how much more we spend on our military than anyone else, how much blood and sweat went into that? And because you are dead set on getting out and are too afraid of blowing up the Trump deal, this is the only one you are? Then you say, I, I had to get out, and I'm just taking over my uh, uh, predecessor. I want you to hear this about the threat to the U.S. now that we're out. Cut 11. Most intelligence analysis has predicted that al-Qaeda would come back 18 to 24 months after a withdrawal of American troops. Is that analysis now being revised? Could it be sooner? It could be, but George, look, here's the deal. Al-Qaeda, ISIS, they metastasize. There's a significantly greater threat to the United States from Syria. There's a significantly greater threat from East Africa. There's a significantly greater threat to other places in the world than it is from the mountains of Afghanistan. And we have maintained the ability to have an over-the-horizon capability to take them out. We don't have a military in Syria to make sure that we're going to be protected. Unbelievable. Uh, They're there. They're still there. And we never, one of the deals was that the Taliban had to renounce al-Qaeda, and they never did. One of the deals were they had to stop attacking Afghani forces, and they didn't. Uh, One of the deals were there was going to be a coalition government. It wasn't going to be just the Taliban, so they took it. All these were opportunities to stop the deal, rip up the deal, and realize America was about to lose its reputation and the country. So should we have seen this? General Mark Milley was asked that. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, cut 14. The intelligence clearly indicated multiple scenarios were possible. One of those was an outright Taliban takeover following a rapid collapse of the Afghan security forces and the government. Another was a civil war. And a third was a negotiated settlement. However, the time frame of a rapid collapse, that was widely estimated and ranged from weeks to months and even years following our departure. There was nothing that I or anyone else saw that indicated a collapse of this army and this government in 11 days. Unbelievable, because I'm reading intelligence report as a civilian, and it's in the New York Times yesterday, and it looks pretty clear. For Dan Hoffman, it also looks clear. He just spent his uh, his uh, formative years in Pakistan, Russia, Afghanistan as a CIA intel chief. He is fantastic. Worked with uh, David Petraeus, too, during the surge. Cut 21. 
The information was there. I can tell you from experience that the, that the intelligence community had lots of intelligence on the weakness of the Afghan National Army, as well as of Afghan leadership, President Ghani, as well as the strength of the Taliban. So that was all available. But sometimes the policy decisions are run counter to the intelligence that is provided to the president. And that's because this president had made it a stated goal of his policy during his campaign to remove all of our troops from Afghanistan. Now, one other point that I'm sure will come out during hearings, it's standard practice practice uh, for the president to ask the, the intelligence community to help war game the policy options uh, that he might choose from. I'd like to know if those questions were asked. I'm sure during congressional hearings uh, we'll hear all about that. I'm so not into hearings right now. I so don't care. When we come back, what's happening at the airport? What's happening in the country? What about the Americans? What about those allied to us? Now, I just want to say, for the record, I hope it doesn't sound callous. I don't mean it to be. But if we're going to get 80,000 people in here, I don't want 80,000 people here from Afghanistan that we haven't thoroughly screened by intelligence officers, a thorough background check. we got to make sure we're not bringing the wrong people here and the people that are loyal to us. And just because you work with us, it doesn't mean you get free admission to America. As uh, President Trump said, you know, there's a, you know, we paid them. I want people there that are going to be targeted, but I just don't want, I want to make sure that people we bring here aren't targeting us. Is that fair? When we come back, Mohammed Hadi Abbasi, uh, Afghanistan interpreter. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. How about our Afghan allies? We have about 80,000 people. Well, who, that's not the Is estimate. that too high? That's too high. How the many? estimate we're giving is somewhere between 50 and 65,000 folks, total, counting their families. Does the commitment hold for them as well? The commitment holds to get everyone out that, in fact, we can get out and everyone should come out. And that's the objective. That's what we're doing now. That's the path we're on. Uh, that is the President of the United States in one of his calmer moments through a very angry uh, interview with George uh, Stephanopoulos. He said he's going to get everyone out. As I'm just hearing and texting back and forth with Senator Tom Cotton, we don't know how many Americans are in there, and they are ballparking how many Afghans are eligible to get out of there. Uh, 50 to 60,000? Man, that's a lot of interpreters. Uh, 80,000, someone said, uh, with their families? I don't know. I, I, they have to be thoroughly screened. And if they're loyal, let's do the best we can. If, they, if they're just people that'd rather be in America, there's a process for that. Uh, Mohammed Hadi Abbasi joins us now, an Afghanistan interpreter, work with the likes of Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Mohammed, how are you? Hey, good morning. Mine. Uh, I'm good, good. Are you, uh, where are you here. now? Uh, currently, I'm located in Georgia. Working Atlanta. in Georgia. Do you have contacts over what's happening in Afghanistan? Uh, well, uh, yeah, so some of the folks, like some uh, families and friends, you kind of uh, kind of worry about their situations, what's going to happen next. So, so of course, you always kind of worry all of a sudden in the morning you just wake up and hear the news, like the, the government collapse. So, so, yes, definitely, like with some friends and families behind, you always have the worry. How do you feel about the way we're leaving Afghanistan? 
Uh, well, it was like really, uh, I was it was a surprise when I heard the news first uh, because I I thought it's not going to happen and it's not going to be like this uh, because at least we might I thought like there will be some uh, forces down there and kind of like to have but this happening like within a matter of like uh, two or three days it was to me it was like really surprised and I was kind of like how how this happens so so fast well what is your do we did you expect more from America um, well I thought like their forces should I mean not all the forces we, we cannot just stay there but at least like to be some uh, based on like my experience that I was there and, and worked with all these forces uh, as interpreter and translator so at least like we could have some forces down there at least to train, be with the Afghan army aside to them or mentoring them so that way rather than uh, letting the the country to kind of collapse on the government within like a matter of a week. So that's that's basically my opinion. Did you live under the Taliban? Um, I mean, I moved long time ago. So I moved long time ago. So uh, it was like 2006, 2007. You moved out. How many people yeah, do you yeah. think roughly uh, have showed loyalty to the U.S. to the point where they could end up, they should end up refugees and eventually American citizens? I mean, you're talking about like a number-wise? Yeah. How many do you think were working with the Americans? Well, there will be like, there are a lot of them, I mean, interpreters and translators, but just that cannot be the only numbers because, uh, I mean, you have NGOs, organizations, UN, some other um, uh, PRTs, provincial reconstruction teams, everybody. So there's a, a, a group of number of people involved, uh, whether directly or indirectly. So it, it's too hard to say what will be the exact numbers because there are folks who can work uh, indirectly with some other organizations, right. not only specifically with the military. Uh, so it's 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 really hard to to kind of say the numbers. Did you think America did a lot of good in Afghanistan? Uh, did America did America do a lot of good in Afghanistan? I mean, over the 20 years? Yeah. I mean, yeah, over the 20 years, we did see a lot of changes, of course, with the infrastructures and works and those. But, like, uh, now that we kind of this after 20 years within a week you see like everything has been changing so everybody is kind of like worried what's going to happen next are we going back to the the same uh, 20 years back like the years of 1990s where nobody has freedom women's children's going to school uh, so it's 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 kind of like everybody is in a in a worrisome situation right now got it uh well Mohammed, uh, what do you want people to know in america about the Afghanistan uh, people? Well, um, I think uh, what uh, people should know in America about Afghanistan people is like uh, uh, there are people who are willing to work for the country and uh, look uh, for the future uh, and a bright future. Uh, however, with the current situations which we have right now, especially for the young generations that they should remain in the country. However, the situation has come where safety for them is the most important thing because just recently I was reading the news 
uh, where uh, like uh, the Taliban was conducting like advanced mapping of individuals, even not those, but even their family members uh, to kind of trace them down. So news like this is happening everywhere around the corner in every province right now. So that's pretty much the situation is right now. So, but we'll, we'll see what, what, what what's going to happen. But people, uh, as of now, they're really frightened and they're scared of what's going to happen to them and they're also their immediate family members. Got it. Mohammed uh, Hadi Abbasi, now in, uh, now in America, uh, helped us out in Afghanistan, especially Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. Mohammed, thank you. Stay safe. Oh, you took it. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. You got it. So it's pretty amazing to show you how off this president is. He came out and said, well, the the uh, the when, when we saw those people falling out of planes to their certain death and, and climbing all over the and 800, maybe 900 packed into a cargo jet. Well, that was four days ago. It was actually when he was doing the interview just one day ago. Not to have that type of awareness, not what time it is, but what day it is. Scary. Number two, I think it's really important to know what he another thing he said was incorrect. That the airport is secure. Yeah, if you get in the airport, it's secure. But around the perimeter, it is chaos. People are getting killed. And you want Americans to meet us in the airport. How are they supposed to get through the airport? There's a little bit of a difference. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. I'm going to be joined in a little while by Carly Shimkus. She's going to prove there's more to know. Uh, besides what's happening in Afghanistan, but the first time we're going to join the Faulkner Fact, uh, uh, the Faulkner Focus. But right now I'm looking at the television, and it looks like Capitol Police are responding to an active bomb threat, obviously in Washington, D.C., Mark Meredith covering the story, and we'll see what happens uh, with that. And um, should I keep this in two, Eric? Keep them in two? Okay. So at one point we're going to be going into that, and I think first thing we're going to be handling is what's happening over that airport. We're getting conflicting reports of what's happening in Kabul's airport, Hamid Karzai Airport, because we're trying to find out if indeed the Americans can get through and if uh, get through to us, and can we go out and get them if they are not able to get to the airport. So we'll wait to go ahead and do that simulcast. Now it looks like uh, the President of the United States will not be, be able to he has decided not to make a speech today. Right now, there's nothing on his public calendar, which is inexcusable. We just watched the Pentagon briefing, and if anything was big, we would have brought you to it. So we'll get to that shortly. So let's listen in, and we'll wait for Harris to introduce us. We'll share audiences. Look back. Critics torching the president's lack of transparency. President Biden will not answer questions from the media or the press during his gravest and darkest foreign policy disaster. We've really struggled trying to get information and data on what's truly going on there. He doesn't say one word about Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. He is too programmed. He is too scripted. And everybody is now seeing what I've been now talking about. What you're seeing now is uh, some critics talking about the president's ridiculous actions and the ramifications of his big interview. Then Harris is going to interview me. 
and then we'll listen Brian on both Kilmeade networks. Brian Kilmeade is co-host of Fox and & Friends and host of the Brian Kilmeade Show on Fox News Radio, and we are live now on both, I believe. Brian, good to see you. Exiting is not this president's thing. Uh, you heard Joe Concha describing him as programmed, scripted, I would say robotic, as he turns away from people and walks away. And look at the exit now in Afghanistan. It couldn't have been done worse. I'm embarrassed for this country. We deserve better from our leaders. And I, I look at the Secretary of Defense and the ridiculous comments from the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. No idea this place was going to fall so quick. The Secretary of Defense, no idea how the Americans are going to get home. My goodness, Harris, you're from a military family. When we lose somebody behind enemy lines, we risk our lives to get yeah. their bodies back. You're not going to get civilians out of cities where they were helping out. You don't live in Afghanistan to go on vacation. You live to help a country get back on its feet that we were helping to rebuild. So at the very least, they are ballparking how many people are actually in Afghanistan. How do you know, President Biden, if you got everybody out? And uh, by the way, I want to help everybody that helped us that's eligible for refugee status. I want it. But I think we got to make sure we're pulling out the right Afghanis. We know that's been that's a... That's hard to do, though. Have you seen that tarmac? I mean, I that is really difficult to do. I, I don't know that we'll be able to successfully vet everybody for SIV status and, and do all of that. But if the choice is to possibly not be able to do that, but get all of the right. Americans that we have, I mean, that is, that is one heck of a binary choice that we... You heard the general, General Kellogg, you can't say no to the Americans on the ground. And it is disingenuous for the Pentagon or the State Department, Brian, to say they don't know who's there. You don't think they have a list? Heck, they have a list of us when we say stuff on Facebook. They're working with, with big tech to find out whether or not we're saying things we shouldn't say. I mean, the administration has already said that. You know they have a list of people in Afghanistan who have American passports. I don't know what's worse, if they have the list and told us they didn't, or if they really don't have a list. And they didn't wow. care enough to do it. Now, think about this. And I've, I've heard a lot of your show, and we've had three hours before I've this show, and I've been on 90 Minutes here already. So we have a lot of people keep saying to this, and I've not heard a good explanation. Under whose plan do we give up the best base, military base in the country? And when, when General Austin comes out, Secretary of Defense Austin comes out and says, well, I only had enough troops to guard the embassy. Hey, Mr. Secretary, you left the embassy. Why did you leave the embassy? Why did you get all of our Who diplomats and stick them on the tarmac? Yes. If you had enough to protect them, at least we would have had some type of organization and infrastructure built in. And maybe that's where those names are. Maybe someone grinded up the wrong list when they had 48 hours to bug out. I am so embarrassed about how this is happening and how President Biden says, well, we had to expect this chaos. And it's, well... When someone falls off a plane to their death or is hiding in the wheel well of a cargo jet, well, that was four days ago. No, Mr. President, it was one day ago. And it's never okay. You know that Saigon moment you said wouldn't happen? This is so much worse. Those seem like the good old well, days. Did you hear Senator Cotton? It's worse than that. It's Tehran 1979 when they took over 50 hostages. I mean, that's, what his, that's what's keeping him up at night. And, yeah. and by the way, you mentioned Austin. His former boss was just on. That's who General Kelly is, or Kellogg is, rather. And General Kellogg said that as he watched that procession with Austin saying he didn't have enough of this, or he said, well, someone's telling him that he doesn't, because he does, and he's forced to take orders from that person. And I said, well, who would that be? Would that be the commander-in-chief? And he said, yes. I, I want to get to this. Mm -hmm. The vice president also quiet on the crisis of Afghanistan as she gets ready to head to Vietnam. 
The New York Post op-ed is asking, where's Kamala? Harris silent six days amid Afghan pullout chaos? She did tweet twice on the Afghanistan crisis, but remember this? This is what she said earlier this year when the president initially announced his plans to withdraw the troops. Watch. President Biden always said that he wants you to be the last person in yeah. the room, particularly for big decisions, just as he was for President yeah. Obama. He just made a really big decision. Afghanistan. Yes. Were you the last person in the room? Yes. And you feel comfortable? I do. Brian. Okay, you were the last person in the room. So people will say, well, Kamala Harris and those whispering campaigns had nothing to do with this or argued against this move. Oops. In uh, Dana Bash, ask a good question. In April, last person in the room. You know, Joe Biden was wrong about every national security decision and, uh, and foreign relations policy over the last 40 years. And he admits that he was in the room on all those times, former chairman of Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Now Kamala Harris is on the record. Let's be honest. There's nothing that indicate that she's up for this job. And now for the, her staff, who, by the way, hate each other, they were at each other's throats. That is a story that came out not denied three weeks ago, are now deciding to, it's a great idea to go to Singapore and check this, Vietnam, to reassure our allies. What? That when Taiwan gets run over, we won't do anything? What could her message possibly wow. be? What could that message be that could be reassuring? What has she shown that she represent American, uh, so, America might or wants to use it? I have one more. Uh, one of the many jobs that President Biden gave Vice President Kamala Harris was the border. And no, it's not working out. But the big problem with the border and how porous it is now that we're dealing with not just the Taliban, but the second in command there, Al-Qaeda, and who knows what that will birth on that soil with scorpions, terrorists coming in from wherever and nesting there. That's our potential future now. Um, why isn't she talking about securing the border? Real quick, I got to go. Okay, real quick. Uh, she's got three jobs. To sell everybody on voting rights that the Republicans are taking away. Number two, tell everyone to get vaccinated. And number three, take over the border. Please tell me at what point are we going to see any success or interest in doing her job, except for being a historic figure with an historic background as the first female vice president. She has been terrible. What's worse is when people give you a job, good or bad, do the job. Don't not show up. We are saddled with this leadership, sadly, for almost three full years plus. Uh, please, anyone competent, report to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. <laughs> they should be hiring. Wow. Brian Kilmeade, neither one of us has hit a commercial, but we have to hit them at the same time, yes. my friend. Thank you so much. Simulcast with me anytime. You got Good it. Good to see you. You got it. Thanks, Harris. All right. And uh, what we'll do now is bring in Carly Early. Last time we booked Carly, she just stormed into the studio. Normally a big professional. Again, now we have to beg her to come in. In the past, she'll just storm in because I don't know how they do it at uh, Channel 115 on Sirius. She is now here. Carly Shimkus, it wasn't too long ago when you just stormed in. What happened? Have you just have you I was afraid of storming in again? You were afraid? So I second guessed myself and stayed out there longer than I should have. I can't seem to get this right. It's, it's unbelievable. Now I got to plug in my headphones. Uh, Curly, whoever thought we'd be talking about Afghanistan 24 hours a day and still can't feel as though there's enough time to explain. Yeah. And we can't even do something in retrospect now. Yeah. Because it is in real time a disaster because the airport, now there's reports the Taliban are beginning to use violence against people looking to get out of their terrible reign. Shocker. And Americans are told not to leave the base to escort Americans to the base. You know, every veteran that I've spoken to um, says the same thing. They all say, 
What did President Biden think was going to happen? And it's it's really the same kind of comment you hear from police officers when you talk about the defund the police movement. What did they think was going to happen? Um, and that's why I think that part of the conversation surrounding this Afghanistan crisis is has been a little odd because you hear a lot of people caveat it by saying, well, no one's disputing the fact that we should have pulled troops out. It's just the way that President Biden did it. And I'm wondering why we're not disputing that. <laughs> well, I was not happy that President Trump, the way President Trump was doing it. And, I, and Ambassador Khalizad, who is leading, was with Bush. He was the ambassador there. He grew up in Afghanistan uh, with Bush. He left in some corrupt circumstances. Comes back, thanks to Trump, asks him. And then he's one of the few Trump layovers. Yeah. And he continues to do this. Do you know it was his idea to convince President Trump to get the new leader of the Taliban out of a Pakistani prison? And now he's leading this. Yes, I know. And when you really think about what Afghanistan looked like just a few months ago, when you had 2,500 troops there, there wasn't an American casualty in 18 months. And that thin line of troops is the difference between total chaos or total total stability in the chaos that we're seeing right now. And now we're dealing with the short and long-term um, ramifications of this. The short-term, everybody's seen it on TV. It's it's a, a terrifying situation for Americans. It's a terrifying right. si- situation for interpreters. And then the, the long-term situation is, is will there be another 9-11? And that's why I never understood why we would want to pull the troops out. Because when President Biden talks about, and, and there's all these, um, you know, these, these Pentagon press conferences where they're like, well, we just thought that it would take longer for the Taliban to take over. Okay, the Taliban and Afghanistan are the same thing. So if that is like the, 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 the good outcome that it would just take longer. I'm sorry. That's not the solution. That's not a good solution. Great point. But you talk about the ineptness, the vice president being not up for the job and the president's explanation shows he's not up for the job. And then I was just handed this story that I thought Harris was going to talk about in the simulcast Mm -hmm. about the U.N. ambassador. Do you hear what she said? No. When hearing about the atrocities over in. Oh, yes. uh, Strongly worded letter. She goes, I have a strongly worded statement. You want to hear it? Please. I'm not kidding. Uh, we are hearing from people in Afghanistan that they're getting threats from the Taliban, and we have expressed in no uncertain terms here at the United Nations, though a very through a very strongly worded statement from the Security Council, that we expect the Taliban to respect human rights, including the rights of women and girls. We also have indicated they have to be respectful of humanitarian law, and we do not expect to see the Afghanistan will become a safe haven for terrorists. A Fantastic statement. Good. Yeah. I'm so glad we solved that problem. This is the um, this is one of the weakest leadership moments I've I've ever lived through, uh, Brian. I'm sure that you, you would agree with that, and um, that reminds me of something that President Biden said when he did the interview with George Stephanopoulos. Uh, you know, he talked about how um, this situation was inevitable, and of course, he's going to say that. That comment is getting a lot of play today, uh, but that's you know a cover your butt moment. That's going to be his line. The other thing that he said is if uh, America doesn't get everybody out by August 31st. We're going to assess who is left and then see if we want to keep troops there. Assess who's left? That's that's not what America does. Uh, as a matter of fact, oh, can we play this? Uh, Marcus Luttrell was on your show, Fox and Friends, and he talked about how un-American that comment was. Take a listen. The ultimate feeling that we have is that we left people behind, and we don't do that. I was out there by myself in a hole about the size uh, or the dimensions of underneath the couch y'all are sitting on, and y'all found me. Okay, y'all sent the entire army to come get me. And we have about, you said, 10,000 of us sitting over there? Well, then we need to go get them. Like I said, I've been there, and I was trained, and I was scared. And if they're they're in a... You need to go get them. 
You need to go get our people. And that's a lone survivor. Yeah, that's a lone survivor. That's enough to make anybody. I mean, that's enough to make me tear up. It's enough to make, I'm sure, a lot of people feel the emotion of what um, a lot of Americans, a lot of uh, military members are going through right now um, who uh, you believe so strongly in what they did over there. And a lot of them have made the point that it wasn't for nothing because it was 20 years right. of still stability. But now it's all over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but w from our perspective for now. But they're coming back. Mm -hmm. uh, so true. I'm so glad you brought me to that soundbite. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll find out if there's more to know. We'll talk more about this. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We're just trying to uh, pour through. Here we call Shimkis trying to pour through some of this interview here with President Biden. And to see the most outrageous clips, it's hard to get down to just one. But here is uh, what he was saying about what he knew ahead of time. And Carly, I don't know, you know, we have a job in the morning, so we can't watch ABC. Uh, cut seven. When you look at what's happened over the last week, was it a failure of intelligence, planning, execution, or judgment? Look, I don't think it was a fair. Look, it was a simple choice, George. When the Taliban, uh, let me back and put it another way. When you had the government of Afghanistan, the leader of that government getting in a plane and taking off and going to another country, when you saw the significant collapse of the uh, Afghan troops we had trained, up to 300,000 of them, just leaving their equipment and, and, and taking off. That was, you know, I'm not, this, it, it, that, that's what happened. That's simply what happened. So the question was, in the beginning, the, the threshold question was, do we commit to leave within the time frame was set, we extended it to September 1st, or do we put significantly more troops in? I hear people say, well, you had 2,500 folks in there and nothing was happening. You know, there, there wasn't any war. But guess what? The fact was that the reason it wasn't happening is the last president negotiated a year earlier that he'd be out by May 1st and that the return, there'd be no attack on American forces. There's a few things wrong with that statement. Number one, there was an average of since 2014, when President Obama changed the posture, there's been an average of 17 losses. Sadly, we have more losses in military uh, in military exercises domestically. And then in the last year and a half, two years, has been zero. Yeah, yeah. That's why I keep on talking about it's a it's a risk reward scenario, and the risk is pulling troops out. The reward was keeping them there um, in a in an area where, thank God, by the grace of God, they're heroes enough to to be there in a in a dangerous situation. But it's to keep stability in the region and also to keep the homeland safe. Um, and the response from President Biden has been really just to shrug his shoulders and say, well, I don't really know what to do right now. During that uh, Pentagon press conference yesterday, there was a reporter who asked um, either Millie or Lloyd Austin and said, so what's the plan in getting people to the airport? Because you say that, you know, you're sending out these emails that say it's time to come to the airport, we, but we can't guarantee your security to get there. And there are a lot of people outside Kabul. There's a, a lot of people uh, in too. Kabul that, um, yeah, that, that, that can't get to the airport and then some of the, you know, the Afghan, they're American citizens, but they're from Afghanistan. Um, they're afraid to show their, their passports because, you know, the Taliban is circling the airport. And if they don't end up getting out, then they're going to have to stay in Afghanistan. And that showing your American passport is a total death sentence. And they know who you are. They know who your family is. And he just 
So, so the question the reporter asked is, uh, can you maybe send uh, American soldiers in Humvees and, and collect them? That's not, they said, no, we're not going to do that right now. And I got a report. How could you say no? How yeah. could you say no to that? And by the way, the British are doing it. The British are the going Auss- to get their Auss- people. Aussies are also trying to do that too. And we're not because we don't want to break a deal in our word to the Taliban. Yeah, because the Taliban's so trustworthy. Right. Pretty sure that they're already breaking their word to us. If you're tired of the story, sorry, it's actually going to get worse and bigger. Thanks, Carly Shimkus. Thank you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.